70 record closing highs so far for the day. Blasting through a ceiling. In a record-setting IPO. Investors who have been riding the wave. When the stock market is booming, we're made to believe the economy is booming. As the stock market goes, so goes the wealth and the health and economy. So what exactly is the stock market measuring? 98.4 Capital FM, good evening, good evening, and a very good evening to each and every one of you. Welcome to the Financial Focus, where you can access accurate and timely global market outlook on demand alongside Ken Gishinga, Chief Economist, Mentor Economics, and myself, Danny Muni. To listen to us online, www.radio.capitalfm.co.ke forward slash listen live or download the iCapital FM radio app on any of your devices. Be the first to know what's happening on the global markets every Monday morning, bright and early, by visiting www.mentoria.co.ke to subscribe. You can reach us today on WhatsApp 0701-984-984 or you can tweet us on at CapitalFM Kenya hashtag Financial Forecast. Ken, good evening. Good evening, Danny, and a happy <laughs> new month. Oh, yes. So there's a running joke that we are in the month of Jada Pinkett. <laughs> I'll leave it there. If you know, you know. It's May, June, July, Jada Pinkett, September. <laughs> Only legends like you. Will Only legends that. know. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing very well. How was uh, the weekend? Uh, the weekend was uh, wonderful, very restful, uh, loaded. As Amazing. we saw with uh, the end of the week, the breaking news about the Finance Act, that changed quite a bit of um, dynamics and we'll, we'll unpack that. Yeah, that kind of put a damper onto the weekend. In <laughs> fact, it just came right before the weekend began because I remember it was Friday afternoon around midday and I even asked our news director and I said, so is today the last day we are supposed to go out because now if this thing has been passed uh, then that squeezes the spend that usually is in the pocket, right? And he said, yeah, so that's how it is. Um, yeah, I mean, looking at how everything seems to be unpacking, um, the S&P 500 is up, the Nasdaq <coughs> is up, the Nikkei is up. Maybe just give us an overview of how the global equities look like. Well, there's a, quite a bit of a positive sentiment uh, globally. Uh, that's being driven by the corporate earnings coming through expecting some big announcements this week coming from Alphabet, the Amazons, um, Starbucks. Um, so those are sending positive messages through the system. And also the jobs reports are that's expected. That's one, one of the key employment reports will be coming out this week. So I think a lot of people are saying uh, possibly the U.S. is looking at a soft landing where inflation is coming down, but it's not necessarily going into a recession. So I think that positivity is also feeding through into Europe where inflation is also coming down. What's happening with the FTSE 100? It seems to be the one market that does not respond very quickly while all the rest are responding. I think over the last four Tuesdays we've discussed the FTSE 100. It's always been going down. What could be the reason it it always seems to be an outlier of sorts um that with the hang seng too you're right um it um the correlation with global news tends to be quite quite driven i would imagine it has to do a bit with the individual earnings of the companies on the FTSE. and inflation as in as much as you're saying it's coming down it's still pretty high 
um, across Europe. And definitely, you know, economies um, such as um, Germany really are not growing. And you find many of the companies dominate on, on these listings. So I'd say it's more of a function of the listed companies not doing very well because the consumer facing, um, really hitting. You know, when you go to the US, you'll find uh, the Nasdaq is very tech tech heavy driven yes. uh, but the Dow Jones really is tied to consumer spending the traditional companies so you find the Dow sort of represents what you'd call the real economy more than the Nasdaq and I'd say the FTSE again really represents what you call the real economy in a sense and possibly that's why um, and it's true inflation is eating into the purchasing power so a lot of those manufacturing companies are not selling as much as they used to because just the purchasing power of people has gone down and we're also seeing it here locally as we'll talk about it later so i think that could be the key driver uh, that's sort of like making it a bit unique so do you reckon it could be time for the FTSE 100 to maybe start separating its stocks in terms of tech and innovation and then just have maybe the FTSE run as a consumer driven uh, equity and then innovation tech ai all of that then get a new package altogether for them to be able to to kind of see how they'll rival each other. Well, not necessarily. I think each indices, um, each index um, sort of has its own commentary and has its own purpose. So you find the FTSE is a very broad, the FTSE 100, the, the big uh, giants. And I think it's, it's very useful because it gives you a broad picture on how the top 100 giants um, are, 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 are performing. Uh, that said, as an investor, you might be interested in particular subsectors like tech or something, and there are indices that would point you to that. So if you talk about the stock 600, you know, that talks about um, 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 stocks that of a particular um, 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 character, that gives you commentary on that. So I think people who trade indices, you know, we talk about trading stocks, the people who actually trade indices, those are sort of the narratives. They say, we say, right now we are seeing more of fast-moving consumer goods, so I want to buy more of this index. Now we are seeing, I want to see more of tech. So I think those indices have their own uh, value in of themselves. And maybe just give us a difference before we become presumptuous. What's 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 the difference between trading indices and trading stocks? Well, trading stocks really, it's, you know, you're buying companies, a stake in a company. So you're buying EABL, selling Safaricom. Even your trading indices, you're really trading the NSE as an index, really, uh, versus, uh, you know, JSE. Johanny Baxone Stock Exchange. So it's right. pretty much you're buying sort of like uh, you, 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 you're buying the whole gamut of companies that sort of uh, are, are represented within that index. It's, it's a far more sophisticated uh, tool of trading, but yeah, definitely there's a whole layer of trading of people who just trade indices. Which is very different from individual purchase of a corporate stock. Exactly. Right. And it's actually speaking now to commentary around our sectors. You know, when it's about a company, you want to look about the company outlook, the company strategy. But it's more of indices. You are like if the Nasdaq. You want to ask how is the tech sector in America doing, and is it so? If there's a legislation that will affect all tech companies, you want to sell. Uh, you know that indices or an appointment yeah. to the board that would influence the price of. Precisely. Then that is what they look at the big macro factors that make the value of. Amazing. Now let's go to the big five in the continent. How is the performance there? Um, it's it's mixed variables. So when you talk about uh, Nigeria, 
um again um you know you you want to look at it day on day but also you want to look at it now that you are half year in july okay yes we're in august a lot of people are looking at the half year performance so if you look at the half year performance you'd say okay that it's done pretty decently uh we talk about the nse really with the raft of measures that have come again the jse um has performed well but obviously when you look at it day to day um obviously we've seen some sell offs in south africa there've been some uh, net sell offs from foreign investors again one big theme is foreign investors are dominating this um in egypt the story really is about you know the the state planning to offload to privatize a lot of state assets you see a lot of uh entities in egypt are really run by the public sector by the government and there is a feeling and a directive from the IMF that it's time to offload there are about 36 list companies that are being targeted to be listed and which i think is a good thing you know we always uh talk about the IMF this way and that way but i think it's a good thing that government finally focuses on the things that government should and if you can offload so in egypt you find a lot of you know even petrol stations run by the military you know stuff like that so i think it's it's a, it's a it's a healthy thing it'll help egypt raise cash it'll be good source of ipos you remember during the kibaki administration quite a number of um entities were um were listed and that was actually for a lot of kenyans that was the first time many kenyans were being involved in the ipo so i think egypt is sort of going sort of like a version of that huge privatization and i think that's a positive and that's what's really driving but of course the currency issue inflation in egypt is like in nigeria it's even higher it's i think in the 30% in nigeria it's in the 20% so uh in a, in kenya you know in, in as much as we complain quite a bit uh, we are still mm-hmm. sort of like at least within some um a sane sane range i'd say and our there hasn't been significant improvement within our market in terms of the equities is it a process that's going to take a very long time as you try to figure ourselves out with the finance act or with the staying in orders of any of these particulars that could probably be having a significant effect on how trading is done well i think there'll be a layer or a three layers that will affect what's happening here at the Nairobi Securities Exchange. First of all, you just have the macroeconomic scenario of what's happening in the US. If the Fed um continues to raise interest rates, you'll expect that flight to continue, although that seems to be less and less likely. But there's also the structural component of, you know, <clears throat> our stock market where I'd say there's what you call a market concentration where about 65% of our stock market trading is on five counters um i think that's kcb safaricom ebl um, um cooperative and i'm forgetting the fifth one kakuzi no no definitely not kakuzi <laughs> but that concentration actually has reduced it's actually at its lowest which is a good thing it tells you that people are now getting curious about what else is on security what's coming in you know is homeboys going to be interesting you know so it tells you that concentration is starting to reduce uh but also but by no means are we where we should be i think there's still a lot more transformative work that needs to be done by the capital markets in terms of you know ratings companies getting ratings being it easy, easy to issue corporate bonds corporate paper there are a lot more activity 
um, IPOs. So <clears throat> I think that structural part is still has to happen. And I know they have a five-year strategic plan. So hopefully that pays out because a lot of people keep asking, you know, what Kenya is the heart of uh, the East Africa system. So we should have a far more vibrant in terms of IPOs and listings and corporate offerings. And those are the things that sort of like are steady, uh, are sort of making it a bit a bit more tricky. And moving to commodities, metals for sure, gold we've seen... Uh a reduction in its <coughs> gains. Silver is down as well. Copper is down. Actually, the only one that seems to be appreciating is steel. Why? Well, I think the gold question is really about the dollar. Really, gold tends to go in opposite directions when the dollar weakens. Um, steel, I think, is tied to the Chinese developments in the in the, in the real estate sector, where the government in China has really uh, committed to cleaning up the real estate sector propping it up and uh, the property market in China contributes 25% of the Chinese economy and that in itself has got people very very keen so obviously things that are tied to construction such as steel will definitely benefit from that but still investors are saying we need to see uh, that people ask why China and I'd say again China is one of the biggest players really in the real estate segment and a quarter of its um economy is really tied to the property market. So if a government says it's going to prop up that sector, all the inputs that particularly still will be uh, will do quite quite well. An interesting perspective as well from the agricultural commodities, which I think things seem to be tempering down after the Black Sea Grain Initiative and what was happening around Russia and Ukraine. Wheat is down, sugar is up, canola is down, coffee is down, tea is up, interestingly, with rice. Yeah, let me speak about wheat. You're absolutely right. You know, the pause in that um, situation, the security situation around that area, the pause in that has um, sort of uh, removed the risk um, that you'd seen in the wheat forward prices. But also, I think more curiously and more interestingly is the issue of you know, there are these notions that there's actually land routes that can be used to remove Ukrainian grain. And those notions are becoming more and more uh, nuanced right now. So that whole idea that it all needed to be sort of evacuated through the port uh, has been overtaken, that land routes are viable, and I think that is propping up, um, um, sort of like bringing some stability um, to that wheat segment. Could the Moscow summit have had anything to do with this? Because remember, initially there was a whole idea around the biggest demand coming from African states. And now with the expectation that Russia was pulling out, then there would be more demand than supply. The Moscow summit happened. African presidents trooped into Russia. They were promised to actually be given grain from Russia. Could this have maybe eased or tempered the demand for wheat then that the price goes down? It certainly could. And one of the most prominent presidents who spoke about that was the Egyptian president, um, Fatah al-Sisi. Really, he made a very powerful um, speech on really the need to bring grain prices down. Uh, and why? Egypt is one of the biggest consumers of uh, Russian and uh, Ukrainian uh, grain. Uh, definitely. So that Russia... Uh, Ukraine's, I mean, Russia-Africa summit played a significant role in at least the geopolitical posturing 
that you'd see that here. Let's take a look at crude. It has had the largest uh, three-month gain, I presume, but then there's a decline. What's happening? I think just the end of the tightening cycle, there's been quite a bit of tightening, as you said, about the Saudi Arabias, um, the Russias. Nigeria was also caught part of that whole tightening. I think that tightening has provided that, that bit of support. And also now with just global prospects improving, as we've said, you know, we might see a soft landing in the U.S. That means you might see growth. Countries like India that are big consumers of crude are doing actually very well. You know, we talk about the Indian um, stock. We don't talk about the Indian stock market as much as we talk about Japan and Asia, but India is doing extremely well. So definitely when the Indian growth prospects, when the American growth prospects are quite strong, uh, definitely you'll find uh, that combination of the tightening of supply and uh, positive demand really are putting it at what I think it's a three-month high. Now, jumping right in, the this week the big news is the Kenya National Bureau of Statistics releasing the new figures on inflation measured on Consumer Price Index and also abbreviated as CPI when you see some of these reports. Ken, what's Consumer Price Index? When they measure inflation by that units, what's, what's CPI? So CPI stands for Consumer Price Index, and, and it really looks at what you'd call the average life of a Kenyan consumer in an urban area. It's very important to emphasize that, that part. The inflation statistics we get are gathered from about 13 urban areas. So it's not a national figure. It looks at the urban areas. They do have their national figures, but I don't think they publish them. But this looks at, you know, the Nairobi, Kisumu, Mombasa, the urban areas. And it tries to consider what is the basket of goods that Dani Moni consumes. And how do they get that basket of goods? You remember a few weeks ago we talked about the Kenya Demographic Household Survey. It comes out once every four years. And it looks at how the typical household consumes in terms of paying rent and fuel and gas and all these things. So that becomes sort of what you'd call the table. Now, CPNO is derived from that and is monitored monthly, month on month. And you'll find sort of the changes are tracked year on year. So you'd ask what's the price of how much do you spend on bread now versus how much would you spend on bread this time last year. And, and, and that. So CPI looks at the life of a consumer. It has its weaknesses because it assumes that Dani Munyi, Ken Gishenga consume the same things year on year, which is not true. Naturally, when something goes up, you pivot to something cheaper. If fuel goes up, you leave your car at home and you use a bicycle. A bicycle, like our friend here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So so that's the one of the weakest the biggest arguments against CPI that it's really not a measure of the cost of living. It's really the measure of uh, the cost of our lifestyle, a particular lifestyle that has been defined. But people are not robotic. People switch people anytime. So that's one of the biggest, but it's still useful in terms of just seeing how consumption prices have gone. To the other side, you have what's called a PPI, a producer uh, purchase index. Now that looks at people who are purchasing, manufacturing. We don't talk about it enough. It's published by the Bureau of Statistics. I don't know why we don't 
give it sort of like the time of the discussion but it it should tell you as a business as a business owner you run a factory it tells you how the cost of doing business has gone up so it's an important report that also needs to be given um sort of like um the 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 the, the time of this and we should discuss the next ppi here to unpack it because a lot of people don't know it's not as famous as the cpi which I also assume would have similar weaknesses based on the size of the industry levels of manufacturing for instance i would be using more electricity than maybe you are and therefore if i'm going to measure the ppi then it's it's still kind of has some cracks before you're able to really tell how much more there's significant increase in the manufacturing process right yeah you're probably spot on let's say i'm a manufacturer of um pasta i make pasta for example and i have these electricity bills i have these machines that can make the long spaghetti or the short uh, macaroni you know the ppi will tell me okay what's the cost of wheat which is your raw material what's the cost of power what's the cost of labor but i can say mm, i don't i prefer having the long form spaghetti versus the macaroni cuz it's cheaper the machine for macaroni consumes less power so you can always pivot and those are the things that that nim- nimbleness ability to swift to swiftly change is what lacks in ppi it assumes that you have a rigid production regime just the way cpa assumes you have a rigid consumption regime yeah. and those are the weaknesses and that's why you know even when prof ryan was here a few weeks ago he said cpi inflation is not really about the cost of living it's about the cost of a lifestyle and that lifestyle you can always change you can always day. change it yeah, yeah. yes mm-hmm. the bureau of statistics have denoted that inflation was largely due to increase of commodities under transport food and non-alcoholic beverages in housing there were the variables of water electricity gas and other fuels month on month food and non-alcoholic beverages decreased by 0.5% price of tomatoes potatoes cowpeas and cabbages declined 12.2 10.1 8.3 and 8.1% respectively the question in many kenyans minds is how do you position the argument that inflation has reduced but the price of commodities just remains constant or in some instances goes up excellent question now when you talk about fuel and fuel is the part that has gone up significantly 13% that was expected because the doubling of the vat on fuel that didn't stop even the high court ruling was unable to stop it so from july 1st the new doubling on the vat 16% applied so that was already playing into the system so that went up 13% now what's happening in the food space in the food we've had uh, better rains we've had uh, the farms are producing so the cost of uh, food is actually uh, not going up as much as it did granted transporting food is is a, also a cost so you can say the cost of uh, planting potatoes as is not significant but transporting it from embu to nairobi um has gone up my feeling is uh the vat on fuel is really the one part of the finance act that sort of dominated um inflation statistics my prediction and my forecast now we in financial forecast is 
the other segments have not sort of like moved into the system well besides the VAT on fuel. So we might start seeing inflation still ticking back up once the other measures sort of start playing in into the system. So I would still have a focus of a bit of um, inflation going up in, in as much as 7.3. I feel like the other elements that had been locked out when the court suspended it didn't move through the system. So I think we might, when you look at these numbers end of August, you might be surprised to find cost of food, uh, which had come down sort of um, going back up just because of um, all those other things moving through the system. So I think it's still a, 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 a wait and see space when it, our inflation outlook. So for clarity, there is a high chance, like you said, that inflation will go up by end of August. After now, the Finance Act trickles into now the economy. Indeed. We, we tend to call that the base effects. These are the base effects really looking at what new thing has come up this year over last year. And for many of those items is higher excise tax, higher all these things that had been in the finance bill playing out on sugar. I think those are 5% importation. So all those things I think will play out. That's uh, what we call the base effects. So we might see that number going up. Maybe not significantly higher, but definitely I expect those things to start propagating into the system and and sort of like uh, pushing pushing those numbers on. If we focused, how soon do you think the government will take to achieve its ideal inflation rate of 25 to 5%? Well, actually the ideal inflation rate is 25 to 7.5. So the ideal, in what they call the inflation target is 5%. So the lower band is 2.5. The upper band is 7.5. So technically, um, the Monetary Policy Committee is has achieved what the Constitution requires of them, really that it's within, at the highest peak, 7.5 and you're at 7.3. That said, I'm sure the members who are thinking the impact of this Finance Act has not propagated, so there's a li- that likelihood that 7.3 might get to 7.7 before now coming down properly. Some people might argue, which I think is a very good argument, that the impact of the housing levy, the... 1.5% will reduce um, consumer purchasing power. So if you're earning X amount, reduce that by 1.5%, that will reduce the demand. And reduced demand will lead to lower inflation. So there's those two forces that may actually cancel out each other. So the new taxes coming into the finance tax, but also a market that is very lethargic. Our pay slips have been really hit hard. So spending power has come down. That might actually offset. So you might actually find we might reach that happy medium of 7.3%. And as we try to figure out where do we go from here with the figures that are coming out, what anti-crisis monetary policy should the central bank adopt in a situation of high inflation and a weakening shilling? I can only say let's not tighten further. Let's not increase interest rates. And I believe next week the MPC will be sitting again to determine interest rates. I predict they might not want to raise it. They might want to just keep it as it is. Um, Because in an economy where interest rates are high, taxes are high, inflation is high, 
spending is low, that's not a good economy. I think we are seeing right now bank interest rates are going up to 20-21%. Even if you are doing a business, if you are doing, if you are running a car dealership and you're getting loans at 20%, it's very difficult to make profits. So I think the short answer to your question is no more tightening. Let's just keep a pause. We're already within the inflation range. We don't need to tighten further. I think that's the quick thing. But I think long term is also to say, can we start bringing these interest rates down? So first of all, it's just keep it as it is. Don't do any more tightening. But later on, can we start reducing? Because yeah, high interest rates really are an enemy for business development. You see, bearing in mind what you just said, advising against more tightening, the Federal Reserve has just increased rates in the U.S. Now, does for Central Bank of Kenya to make a decision on increasing the rates independent or is it a decision that's influenced under the actions of, say, the Federal Reserve? So when the Federal Reserve releases their report and says we're increasing by another blah, 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 then does that give reason to central bank to say they're also going to increase the rates or can they make an independent decision and say i think we'll hold off and see how it rolls out typically they'll tell you that they're looking at inflation here and they're making an independent decision but the key question is do we have imported inflation and the answer is yes if the shilling weakens and you have to buy import stuff You've seen one of the companies here saying how its importation bill has gone up. That will affect local inflation. So you can't sit in this world where you say Kenya is an island. Yes, you are making decisions for Kenya, but you understand that there are international factors, not least what is called the interest rate differential. This is what interest rates should get on U.S. assets versus Kenya assets. That differential actually influences a lot of trading. If the differential is very big, you'll find money going out of Kenya to the U.S. So in as much as, yes, uh, CBK is independent, it's alive to the fact that it's part of a global economy and the dynamics of what happens with the Fed, um, the strengthening of the dollar, Kenya being a net importer, meaning things will be more expensive as you import and you'll import inflation. I think that is not lost on the policymakers um, who are in charge of these things. There was an interesting story, um, I think a few days ago, about how uh, CBK will, in future, need to even consult IMF when they lose a handle on inflation. That means when it goes above, what, 7.5%, they'll need to consult. I didn't quite understand what consult means. I feel we consult all the time. I felt it's it's something that was sort of like a, a, a metaphor for something a bit more uh, deeper. But... It tells you that central banks don't just act independently. They're part of a central banking universe where they report to the the Bank of International Settlements that based in Basel. Uh, but you're also alive to what the Fed is doing, what the big banks are doing. And, and even in the region, central bank governors talk amongst themselves, the Bank of Tanzania, Bank of Uganda. So, And that's just the reality of globalization, that what happens in Kenya will affect Uganda. What happens in Ken- Washington will affect Kenya. And if we look at this a little bit differently, and I ask you, in the current situation that we're in, Ken, how does corruption 
contributes to inflation? Corruption plays a big role uh, to driving inflation because I think in the in its most basic sense, people are bidding higher than what is the market price. You know, if you look at this pen that I'm holding, uh, if you went to buy it in the textbooks and or the textbook down, downstairs, you would get it at a particular price. But if I was supplying these pens to a state agency, I might say, actually, because I want to make a big markup, I might actually uh, bid much higher. And that's why you find sometimes procurement entities have actually a schedule of what the market prices of things are to prevent people from providing things that are unrealistic. So definitely when there is that, um, what you'd call, lack of um, awareness on market prices, it's absolutely, it drives up inflation in the sense that things become much, much more expensive. We cannot afford to wait and see where this road may lead because it has already brought us to a very terrible place. And I promise you, it will come to an end. For those who have engaged in corruption incorrigibly, because I I know, for example, the people in the procurement space, there was uh, one lady in one of the roads departments, corrupt to the core, to the extent that she could not be transferred by anybody, even by the minister, because if she was transferred, she will go to court, buy the court process, and make sure that she's returned. That is the kind of chronic. We, we cannot have such. It will not happen. We are servants of the people of Kenya. We are not their masters. We don't serve at their mercy. So uh, it's going to be different. It is going to be different. I promise you it's going to be different. And we are not going to wait until public money is lost. The moment there is signs that you have intentions, we will deal with you firmly and and summarily. (laughs) That happened today when a couple of people were locked out at Gate D trying to crash the party that they were invited for, but they were late. And I think that's really well said, but it's also, if you listen to what's happened there, there is a bit of an indictment on the judiciary. If I can't be transferred by a minister or by whatever process, and I go to the court and I buy the process and go back so that I make sure every time Kenya is trying to build a road so that I can get a kickback, we are paying the highest number to tarmac just a small kilometer of road in the world. It's a bit insane. It's very insane. And it does take two to tango when you talk about corruption. I was very curious of the word that he used, incorrigible, which really means impossible to change or improve. So there are people who are so hardened, so deep in the system that... um, the idea of them reforming out of corruption is not possible and what the president is saying is they need to be um, sort of dealt with <laughs> summarily. <laughs> That's the phrase that was used. But you're right, this is the other angle of you know the justice system that tolerates it. Maybe in their defense, they'll say they don't tolerate it, they just, everybody has a right to go to court to um, 
be fairly hard. I mean, you said even, even in the previous administration where people would go to get orders to prevent from being arrested even before uh, the police come to you. So, And I do believe there are legitimate cases where um, that can apply. But yeah, to your point, when such a thing is, has been abused, um, it becomes problematic to not only the development of the ministry um, of roads, but as a country, where you start asking how many other ministries have these, you know, died in the wool, incorrigible corruption gurus who really control the system and cannot even be transferred. So it it paints a difficult picture and um, it's not something new. I mean, we've seen it with past administration. I think what Kenyans are expecting to see is what new approach can be there. Now, I would imagine also the IMF is behind this latest push on corruption. One of the IMF requirements is, you know, people who are doing business with state entities um, need to be known. The companies, uh, the directors, that has been an IMF thing. And, you know, not many state agencies have complied with that. And I think it's part of the IMF package, the loans you are getting. These are part of what you call about the conditionalities. So I think this is not just coming from a desire to to, to to be better and to be more morally understanding. I think it's also, also tied to our finances where IMF is saying we can't give you money unless we, st- we have a bit more transparency around your affairs. But is there really a true way of dealing, I would say eradicating, dealing with this without a prosecution? Because if I'm well aware that I can, I can, I can get public funds for my own use, for my own pocket, and the best that that can be done is just sending me away, would that really stop me from being this kind of individual who would continue inflating procurement processes, buying the courts? Because in the end, I'll just still go and sleep at home. However, if there was a direct route towards a prosecution that is really meaningful, that it is a lesson through maybe one person to the rest of us, if we continue like this, this is what befalls you, then maybe things can change. Well, we do have an opportunity. Now, right now, I think the office of the deputy uh, public prosecutor is uh, looking for a new occupant and a number of people have applied. So the question is, what will be the quality because yes, you can have structures and laws and constitution, but also the quality of the persona, the force of the personality who occupies that office. And we've seen, I think, about 15 people have applied. So we can only pray because, you know, you talk about, <laughs> I mean, you talk about <laughs> in the U.S., Danny, for example, ah. you are the famous prosecutor, the Wall Street prosecutor, you know, who took a lot of the insider trading uh, big giants. To jail, so I think hopefully, and I'd say it's a prayer. You said pray. That's why I'm laughing. You know, last <laughs> we week there were so many prayers. Government was praying. The opposition was praying. At one point, I thought, who is actually working? We're all praying for victims of Mandamanu, and there's prayer for this, and there's prayer. Everyone was in church, and everyone was dealing with pastors. But Danny, we do need a good prosecutor in this country. Cor- um, corruption is, as you say, it's a cancer that continues to eat inside our underbelly. And the quality of a good prosecutor, you know, there was a very good approach. I think had, that had been approach, uh, had been used a few months, a few years ago about the whole multi-sectoral um, approach towards corruption. Where it's not just one person deciding 
this case goes, but you have a whole committee of different agencies looking at your file. So even if one person is compromised, you have a whole eight, ten agencies that are looking at this file. And for me, I think that should have been the way forward because sometimes, yes, you can have the best person in that office, but even the best people can really be affected by really the war on, 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 on against corruption and stuff. So for me, I think that whole multi-sectoral, which we had seen a few years ago, we need to look into that because it really prevents, because uh, you can't really compromise eight, ten people, you know. I think for me that should have been the way forward in terms of making sure that cases are watertight and they really, when they go to the court, they have a degree of likelihood towards um, succeeding. Do we outsource a prosecutor who can do a stellar job in terms of investigating some of these cases? I don't know because, you know, he still needs to work with other entities. So the, if the, the entities are bought by the people who are in question, then the job still stalls. If the detectives don't bring the evidence from the ground to you, or if they bring poor evidence, evidence. or faulty evidence, no matter how good of a prosecutor you are, you'll not be able to prosecute because you'll go to court and you'll be told, actually, the whole case was anchored on very weak evidence. It starts from the detectives who come to the crime, the scene of crime, the ability to collect very good data, witnesses, a witness protection act. So that whole just, and that's why I keep saying when governments spend so many on other things, you know, on uh, on other areas, I always say focus on the justice system. Capitalism works on a very strong just, justice system. You know, invest in uh, digitization of the judiciary, invest in witness protection programs. These are the things that only government can do. Private sector can never do these things. So instead of doing, you know, these housing taxes and pe- things that the private sector can do very well, get out of those sectors, focus on justice and law and order. Make sure that your prosecution is tight, it's above board. You know, I mean, I think one of the benchmarks actually is in the United States. You saw when the FIFA agents in Switzerland were arrested by the FBI. I don't know if there's any other country that has F- prosecutors who are so strong who can actually go for FIFA uh, agents, you know. Officials, yes. Officials. I mean, you'd be kicked out even of, of FIFA. So I think we need to look at, you know, can government get out of things that private sector can do, such as housing, and focus on very strong justices, and not just in Nairobi, in Kwale, in Kilifi. These are the things that governments can do that can really boost business. Because now you are like, okay, I can do business with you because I know I have a recourse. If something doesn't happen well, I have a recourse. In Kenya, you don't quite have that. And then finally, we'll have a country. So don't let the big body do what the smaller body can do. That's the principle of subsidiarity. I'll bring Tanzania into this picture. It's not one of these economies we discuss as we look at the markets of the big five in the continent. But Tanzania doesn't seem to be affected that largely by inflation like we are. Maybe even Uganda. Is it this corruption issue that is kind of giving them a reprieve or what's the what's what's the story because they are not as corrupt as we are i saw a report yesterday or the day before yesterday that kenya is one of the highlights in terms of human trafficking in the esc community tanzania has the lowest inflation correct i think it's about 3.6 percent um i think they have less importation than we do 
uh, so the opportunities for imported inflation are actually quite low. Uh, the dollar reserves actually quite good. I think right now they're hitting about four or five months of dollar reserves. So their currency has that stability that they can maintain even as uh, unlike us where we saw that we had that shortage a few months ago. So I think the macros have played well, uh, but I think it's the lack of a big what we'd call importation Debt. culture. Okay. Um, I think that is 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 a, is a big part that I think it contrasts to Kenya. I speak to many of you on phone many times. I call you to my office. We interact in different places. I ask you questions. You know that on programs, on projects, and and I find that many of you, the people I speak to don't even know what is going on in your ministries or departments. You have very scanty information. The moment I know more than you in your ministry, then you must begin to understand that something is very wrong. Because by constitution, you are supposed to advise me. Explain to me how you are going to advise me if you have less information than I do. Who is going to be advising who? I call many, many PSs. You ask them what's going on here. They have no clue. And this is your department. That is the job that you have. You are not a messenger. You are not a security person. You are not a photographer. You are not a watchman. And the job of the minister and the peers, you don't know. Or you don't have information. How, how do you run a ministry or a department or a parastatal if you have no information. That is the highest level of incompetence. <laughs> ah, His Excellency is ex- exasperated. But, I th- you know, he's, he's, he's paying the price of what he put down on the ground. It's not germinating. I'm, these appointments were not done by any one of us. None of us, not in studio, not outside. These were appointments done by him and his deputy. But he raises a very interesting issue where if what is supposed to be making the policy for the citizens of this republic or the persons responsible in making policy and and seeing how things are executed to the highest level of you know integrity is not happening, it's very interesting that first the same guys are seated there to sign performance contracts. That means they are keeping the jobs they're already in. But then how do you resolve that? Do we have to get then a discussion around, and this discussion thing is going to go on for a very long time, around ministries and parastatals having a service charter? I mean, that might help. But just the clip you played, Danny, I think for me it points to a frustration that we are not doing as much as we can. Kenya is a country that can produce so much. It's a powerhouse. Exactly. And I think it's really the president and later on the deputy also really trying to speak to the cabinet, the permanent secretaries to tell them we need to pull up our socks. Kenyans are on the streets marching. Mandamanos are there daily. We have huge revenue targets. We need to pay the euro bond next year. We need to grow this economy. We have idle um, young people 
Kuni jobs. I think it's the president and the deputy saying, enough is enough. We have to work hard. We have to be there. And there are so many important things that needs to be done. And I, I like one thing that the deputy president said, possibly in the same event. He said, instead of you ministers and PSs always traveling out. Changing suits in airport toilets, <laughs> not even hotels. Correct. Why don't you go to the media houses and explain to Kenyans what you're doing in your particular ministries? I mean, the president and the deputy have had very extensive interviews with the media. But people always ask, what about treasury? What about housing? What about infrastructure? Can we hear? And they say, instead of honoring every invitation abroad, why don't you go to the media houses? Why don't you be coming here or any other media house and explaining what's happening in tourism, what's happening in environmental, the whole forest logging? You know, we need to see these people. We need to, they need to be, that this is the highest leadership. So I think one gets a sense that possibly both of them had a meeting and they said it's it's time. It's really, it's you know, in, in about nine days, Danny, we'll be marking uh, one year since we went to the ballots. So we're probably going to have an episode very soon on one year on. How far have we made? And, you know, that's cockered. We are still working on it. <laughs> that's cockered. <laughs> you know, it will highly depend on, you know, yes, we are, and we get it. The international environment is difficult. Inflation is global. You can blame it just on Kenya. But a lot of people are saying, where is the heavy lifting? Where are the nice policies that are coming up to bring more tourism? You know, when talk about tourism in Kenya, you know, there's one thing even Balala had said many times back. He said, our tourist parks don't even have Wi-Fi. Very mm. basic things like Wi-Fi. Where is a policy to say all parks, you know, yes, I'm going to the park to see the big five, but also I want to be able to be connected to NASDAQ and to see what's happening, trading. Mm. And he said that's very practical things, but with the policies around that, you know, you, in a previous episode, you raised about the issue of, you know, getting tax cuts on companies that are are, are, are emitting less. You know, how do you get tax cuts on those companies and they're able to hire more people? You know, so all, all these very good ideas that you see in the media and opinion pieces, who is putting together this policy, tabling it in parliament, making it into a law? I think that's what I think the president and the deputy are asking. That heavy lifting, we can't, our policy cannot be been discussed on Twitter. It has to be discussed in session papers. Session papers that are approved and they transform the lives. So I think hopefully today that message will sink home and hopefully we'll start seeing more vibrant in terms of performance. Yes, back to your question of should we have service charters? I agree. You know, if you go to immigration, you should be able to see what are all the services that the Ministry of Immigration offers. So if I want a passport today, apply today August 1st. Does that mean a week from today, the 9th? You can be sure. I now if you sure. apply today, you won't get it. <laughs> I know that machine is never working. It's always, it has its moods, <laughs> you know. So those are the things I think now they're saying, and they're saying we need to get on this performance journey like yesterday. I mean, fear no more. Now we have Starlink. So if you go to the Mara, you can follow the Nasdaq from there. But all seriousness, <laughs> some of these guys are very difficult to actually position. They cancel on interviews, and I think there's a general sense of contempt towards the media where they are more obligated to honor someone's to foreign media 
but an invite to a media house here they they won't honor they can't even honor accountability summons to senate to just kind of show the performance that their various ministries is going through or what they've been able to achieve so far they always have discussions and then they'll give an excuse that I can't make it for the sermon because I'm out of the country and i think maybe that kind of just happy go lucking that's happening in most of the ministries is also playing a really big part on some of this inflation you're looking at one important thing the president said is you know we are servants of the people so as a servant you should always be ready to explain what's happening in your docket if it's infrastructure if it's water what are the water pans that are coming up the water dams you know these things when you explain things to Kenya you also enlighten them and you excite them about the future so if I'm a businessman and I wanted to do some irrigation in Ukambani and you tell me oh they actually you're planning some water pans that will come up you know as a as a businessman I'm like oh wow I can go plant watermelons and you know there'll be water and I can be able to supply so you also you also lift the spirits of people you show them hard work is happening they even start planning their businesses around there so communication is such a big part and I think that's what the president and the deputy are asking instead of always going out there to explain to foreigners explain to Kenyans what's happening what are the plans what are the challenges maybe they have real challenges that we don't see so we just criticize them without seeing the very real challenges um in their lanes so i think for me i, I really hope that uh, this becomes a, a turning point as we approach that one year um anniversary we are staring into this situation of high inflation but then how can entrepreneurship be activated through anti-crisis interventionist economic policy in a situation where inflation is this high well let's say first of all entrepreneurs still have to focus on product development far too often entrepreneurs are very keen to blame on the environment but sometimes the product development the quality so is lacking yeah so if you are a restaurant you serve your seafood um it's very easy to say you know people are not spending on seafood but the reality is is the recipe that you're providing the very best if you're a health club and you have a heated pool and you're saying nobody's coming uh, but maybe you're not hitting the pool to its required standards you're cutting so i think entrepreneurs still have to focus on in as much as you blame the environment have to make sure am, am i providing the very very best before i blame the environment and the answer is this this quite a bit of work then looking for new markets marketing using social media digital media so there's still a lot more i think entrepreneurs sometimes can 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 pose it to you that there's nothing they can do but the reality is there's quite a bit that can be done thank you thank you ken very much for an insightful episode of the financial forecast you can catch this latest episode and all other episodes we've done before on our soundcloud page or anywhere else you get your podcast from keep your feedback coming in on 0701984984 or twitter at capital fm kenya financial forecast 